Jeremiah chapter 13 is where we're at in Jeremiah this week. Let's read verse 22 as our kind of diving board. Then we're going to work backwards a little ways forwards again uh, through as well. Jeremiah 13 verse 22. And if thou say in thine heart, Wherefore come these things upon me? For the greatness of thine iniquity are thy skirt discovered and thy heels made bare. It's an interesting question. Uh, again, another question that we're looking at this afternoon. And it says, if you'll say in thine heart, wherefore come these things upon me? If you're wondering why this is happening to you, there is an actual reason. And sometimes uh, this is true in our lives as well, where there's something going on in our lives. And not always, not all adversity, not all um, hardships are disciplined by God. And don't ever mean to imply, imply it otherwise. But there are times in our lives where we're going through things and we question, why am I going through this? And God says, well, there's a reason, and here is the reason. So we're going to look at that thought here this afternoon. Lord, I pray for your help as we look at uh, this, this chapter in Jeremiah and these thoughts, as it is a consistent issue and a consistent problem here in Jeremiah, and we know that it rings true even today. So Lord, I pray that you'd help us and uh, Lord, that you would apply it to our hearts as you see fit. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. So again, the question here is, is why is this happening to me? Isn't it interesting, but oftentimes sinners will blame um, uh, their problems on other people or other things, even though they know deep in their heart that this is a, an issue caused by me. Um, this is a problem that I have caused. This is, you know... I don't mean to make light, and I hope that I'm not, of divorce, but in marriages so many times uh, there, there is so much fighting and so much bickering going on that sometimes they, they get to the point where the person who's, who's either as much of a problem or more of a problem is the one going, it's not my fault. I do this, 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 and this, and this, and it's not my fault. It's, that is their fault. And uh, the reason why the marriage is in, is in shambles typically is because of that person saying it's not my fault. And uh, typically, it's going to lean on them. And so they're asking, or they're, the, the question is being said here, if you're going to say in your heart, they're not even saying it out loud, but in their, their heart, they're just saying, why is this happening? Kind of that grumble in their heart. There is a reason. So let's look at the reason. He says it in verse 22, by the way, uh, right there, your iniquity, the greatness of your iniquity. That's why. But let's look at a couple other things. Verse number 10. Uh, yes, verse number yeah, 10. This evil people which refuse to hear my words, which walk in the imagination of their heart and walk after other gods to serve them, to worship them, shall even be as uh, this girdle, which is good for nothing. And he says here at the beginning of the verse, the evil people which what refuse to hear my words. This is consistently through Jeremiah. This constant refusal to listen to what God has to say. Not only did they refuse to listen to what God had to say, but it says there, uh, continuing forward, they walk in the imaginations of their own heart. They walk after other gods. Uh, they serve them and they worship them. So there's a lot going on here. Idolatry and just the refusal to listen. Look in verse 11. Uh, For as the girdle cleaveth to the loins of a man, so have I caused to cleave unto me, the whole house of Israel and the whole house of Judah, saith the Lord, that 
they might be unto me for a people and for, my, for a name and for a praise and for a glory, but they would not hear. It is again God's consistent telling them, I have set you apart, I've sanctified, I've, I have established you uh, to be my people and I'll be your God and uh, what you do will be for my glory and all those sorts of things, yet they would not hear. Ultimately, why is that? I think verse 9 actually tells us, Thus saith the Lord, After this manner will I mar the pride of Judah and the great pride of Jerusalem. Why would they not hear? Why would they refuse? Why do they go to other gods? Ultimately, I believe it's because of pride. We talked about it this morning, and partly why it came to mind this morning is because we're going to talk about it this afternoon, but, but pride is such a massive issue. Why do we refuse to hear? It's because of pride. Why do we refuse to follow God? It's because of pride. It's because God's saying what you're doing is wrong, and what we say is, no, I like it. Most of the time, we don't even say, no, it's right. We just say, no, I like it. It's something that I want for me. It's something that satisfies me. It's something that makes me happy. It's something that I want. And so we have this pride. Look in verse 15. Hear ye and give ear, be not proud, for the Lord hath spoken. How do we prevent a, a refusal? How do we prevent our hearts from refusing to hear God's word? It's, it's here in verse 15. Hear, give ear, and be not proud. Listen uh, to what God has to say and be not prideful as we listen. Uh, look at verse 18. Say unto the king and to the queen, Humble yourselves, sit down, for your principality shall come down, even the crown of your glory. Um, we look at verse 17, talks about it as well. But if, we, uh, if you will not hear it, my soul shall weep in secret places for your pride. You see, humbling ourselves doesn't matter who we are in, in the society, what position we hold, what uh, clout we hold, Whatever from there it has nothing to do with any of those things. And the, from the, the, the greatest to the least has to humble themselves in the sight of the Lord. We have to get off of our, um, our high horse. We have to get off of our pride train. And we've got to get down to, to what God desires for us to be. And that's going to start by humbling ourselves before God. <coughs> Excuse me. When we... Um, we say we want to follow God. We, we say we want to obey God. We say we want to please God. But if we don't humble ourselves, if we don't bring ourselves low, that's what humbling ultimately is, bringing ourselves really to the level we're supposed to be on, but bringing ourselves low, understanding that there is something more than us in God, humbling ourselves down so that we can then properly listen to follow God. For if I'm prideful, I'm not going to take what God has to say and take it to heart most of the time. Because most of the time, what God is telling me involves me being humble. Right? God says, uh, take up your cross. Follow me. Well, that's humiliating. It's humbling. You look at Christ and His sacrifice and what He gave to us on this earth and Him on the cross the beating that He took before He went to the cross, the lying that went on about Him, the standing in front of the mob and hearing them yell, crucify Him, that's all very humbling. Christ made Himself low in order to put His body through what it went through, in order for Him to pay the ultimate price 
of sin, we are to follow that example of Jesus Christ that He gave us and humble ourselves, or else we'll find ourselves in the same situation as the Israelites found here, uh, the Jews found here, is the point where we are now lifting ourselves up and our wants and our desires and our motives and all of that above everything else. And before long, instead of worshiping and following God, we are worshiping and following self, the idol that we've built up for ourselves. Pride is ultimately what keeps us from hearing what God has to say, and it is ultimately the reason why here uh, they have uh, uh, wondering, how do these things happen? Why are we going through what we're going through? It leads to their greatness of their iniquity, which is led by pride. And then kind of to wrap it all up and to understand this chapter, God here is talking He's using an illustration of the girdle. We didn't look, look at that much, but uh, he's using that illustration pretty consistently throughout this chapter. And, and they're going through these, uh, he calls them useless, if they're not going to listen, if they're not going to heed, if they're not going to be uh, humble themselves, then they're useless. They're, they're going to be of no, no use. And there is that constant kind of talking about the, uh, the punishment that can come. Look in verse uh, 20, 20. Well, 21, but look at verse 20 also. Lift up your eyes and behold them that come from the north. Uh, where is the flock that was given thee, thy beautiful flock? What wilt thou say when he shall punish thee? For thou hast taught them to be captains and as chiefs over thee. Shall not sorrow take thee as a woman in travail? And they'll sit there and wonder, well, where is this coming from? I don't understand it. I don't get why it's coming. Look in verse 27, just the first three words I have seen. You know, we talk about this a lot, but there are a lot of things that as a pastor I can't see. I don't see. Maybe it would be a better word for it. I don't see. Um, someone in the church going through something or or is um, involved in something, and I never see it. You know, I've talked with other pastors. You know, I wish I would have seen it. I wish I would have known. I wish I would have uh, saw what was happening. Um, we, we, it happens at the, in the homes. You know, I didn't see that kids sometimes. Wow, I didn't see that coming. Um, happens at work. Happens with, with relatives. Happens with friends. All those sorts of things where we don't see it. And all of a sudden, when it comes out, we're like, whoa. What happened? And what you see, God isn't that way. And so we can go through life in our pride and in our sin, whatever it is, our sin, and we can go through life where people won't see it. Maybe our spouse won't see it. It's hard to hide things from a spouse, but maybe the spouse won't see it. Maybe the parents won't see it. Maybe the kids won't see it. Maybe the friends won't see it. Maybe coworkers won't see it. Maybe the church, uh, church family won't see it. But when it comes down to it, God will always say, I have seen. I have seen thine, and in this case, thine adulteries and thy neighings and the lewdness. And he goes on. I've seen your idolatry. I've seen your, uh, your decisions to go on and chase other gods. I've seen your pride. I've seen your wickedness. I have seen. We can ask the question, why? Why has this thing come upon me? And God simply says, I've seen great iniquity in your life. We cannot hide it from God. Sinners are going to blame 
others. I always do. But when God says, I have seen, He says at the end of the verse, Woe unto thee, O Jerusalem! Will thou not be made clean? When shall it once be? Where's the pride now? Where is the pride when, when uh, if you remember as a kid being approached by a parent, hey, did you do this? Oh, no, 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 I didn't do that. No, I didn't break that. No, I didn't, whatever. Yeah. And then all of a sudden they say, yeah, you did. I saw you do it. I heard you say it. And immediately the kid shrinks because <laughs> they realized my lie is not going to work. You see, the same is true in, our, true in our sin. Whatever sin it is, when we face God and God says, I have seen, it's going to shrink pride pretty quick. So what's the best solution? The best solution is get rid of it on your own. Confess it to God now. Don't make God punish you for it. Don't make God uh, make you suffer through it. Don't make God have to for, uh, face you with it. Just now, humble yourselves on the side of the Lord. Just now say, you know what? I know this is wrong. I know I shouldn't do it. I'm not going to do it. I'm going to stop God with your help. God, with your forgiveness, God, with your strength, I'm not going to do this anymore. And you see, it's, it really is that simple. I know it's not easy, but it is that simple. We can't fall in. We have to, to look at what God has given us in His Word. And if you're reading your Bible faithfully, you'll see it over and over and over again of examples of people who who handled it the right way and people who handled it the wrong way. You'll see people, nations, who went through great consequences because they refused to humble themselves, because they refused to get right, because they refused to listen to what God has to say. You can look all throughout American history and I'm sure world history and find churches that refused to listen to what God had to say and there was consequences for it. Wherefore come thou these things upon me? For the greatness of thine iniquity. I don't like being punished. I don't know, I don't know I've never met anyone who did. Um, my parents were spankers. And that's how we got punished most of the time. I never liked it. I never was like, oh yay, there's the belt. Uh, I never once cheered. Uh, the one time I did is when my sister was getting in trouble and then I got in trouble right after. So, You see, we don't like discipline. We don't like being disciplined. But God does tell us that uh, whom He loveth, He chasteneth. And we can watch the children of Israel or the, the Jews here as God is coming... It seems like chapter after chapter, listen to me, listen to me, listen to me. And they refuse to listen, they refuse to listen, they refuse to listen. What does God do? He punishes them. And we can go, oh, I don't like getting punished. But I'll tell you what, I can appreciate, especially the older I get, I can appreciate the love of a God who says, you're doing wrong, now do right. And if you don't do right, I'm going to punish you so that you will do right. But we still have the option to go to God now and say, God, I'm wrong. Forgive me. Humble yourself. Don't be prideful. 
And don't get to the point where you have to ask God, why is this happening to me? And God has to say, it's because of the greatness of your iniquity. Let's humble ourselves so God doesn't have to humble us. Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you for what you teach us. I thank you for your uh, resilience, your faithfulness, your long-suffering. Lord, you're so patient with us. But Lord, we read in your word that eventually there has to come an end to it. We see it in the Old Testament with Noah and the ark and the flood that came. We see it uh, throughout different examples, throughout the Old Testament with the nation of Israel, with individuals. We see it throughout the New Testament as well. Lord, I pray that you would help us to humble ourselves. Lord, that we would stand before you low as a servant. Lord, listening to your every word, obeying your every word, following you. God, that we don't have to suffer through the consequences that so many before us have because of their sin. God, would you help us to understand the importance of living right, no matter how old or young we are. God, that we would understand that today, this moment, and moving forward, we must follow you. God, please help us with this. We can't do it on our own. We're naturally prideful. We're naturally sinful. So God, we pray for your help and Lord, the strength that we need now to humble ourselves before you. God, continue to protect us and provide for us. Lord, thank you so much for all the wonderful things that you've given us. Nehemiah chapter 8 today, Nehemiah chapter 8. And Jens has a uh, display out in the uh, hallway, the entryway as you come in. He's got prayer cards out there, so make sure you pick up one of his prayer cards and uh, pray for him. And as he prepares to go to Indonesia, of course, all missionaries right now that are working on raising support it's a little rough uh, with all the uh, different states having different guidelines and things like that. I know many uh, missionaries have had meetings that have gotten canceled, and they're working on rescheduling, and uh, the Lord's providing, but it's taken, you know, it's just, it just puts a little bit of a break uh, in the timeline to some degree as well. So, um, so make sure you're praying about that as well for him. He has some candy on the uh, table back there, some coffee-flavored candy, and... Uh, I'll give you the same advice I gave my son this morning. Don't wipe them out, but, but have some candy. And, um, well, actually, you can wipe them out. He's got a church he has to go to tonight. But anyways, that's, that's, that's his problem. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, he does have some candy on the table there uh, for you. <clears throat> Nehemiah chapter 8, and uh, let's look at the first three verses of Nehemiah chapter 8 today. It says in verse number 1, And all the people gathered themselves together as one man in the street, that was before the water gate, and said, uh, And they spake unto Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded to Israel. And Ezra the priest brought the law before the congregation, both of the men and women, and all that could hear with understanding upon the first day of the seventh month. And he read therein before the street that was before the water gate from the morning until midday, before the men and the women and those that could understand, and the ears of all the people were attentive unto the book of the law. This morning I'd like to uh, speak on that topic of be attentive. 
And here we've been going through the book of Nehemiah, and we've been looking at different uh, situations in the book of Nehemiah, and we've come to the point now where the wall has been built. They have uh, put together the gates. Everything is kind of together. And uh, now that, the, that uh, the city is kind of back to work again, back to activity and motion and living, they have called now for Ezra to come and, and to read the law of Moses. Uh, the law that was given to Moses, that is passed down generation to generation, the law that is there, the scriptures as it was in this day and time, uh, there for the people to hear the reading of the law. For years now they'd been in captivity, they'd been in uh, uh, Jerusalem, had been in destruction, there has been all this um, just kind of loss of identity, so to say, where they had been living under different laws, different religion, uh, worshiping idols, serving the gods of those who had uh, put them into captivity. And so this was a, a really a sermon being preached. It was just the reading of Scripture, but a sermon being preached to remind the people who God was and what God had commanded and what God had promised for them. And so this morning I'd like us to look at four things that if we'll be attentive to God's Word, uh, what it can lead to. All right, that's what I want to look at this morning. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for letting us come this morning. Thank you for your word and what it teaches us. Thank you for all the lessons we've learned from the book of Nehemiah thus far. And God, today I pray as we spread through uh, a few chapters in Nehemiah that, Lord, you will teach us, that you will grow us, that you will challenge us, or that you will encourage us to be more attentive to your word moving forward. And God, I pray that you'd help me as I present these verses, that I would do it clearly and I'd do it correctly. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Have you ever been the kind of person that has been told to pay attention? Have you ever been the kid in, in school that the teacher had to constantly say, hey, hey, pay attention, pay attention? Um, I grew up and heard many, many preachers across my life through working in camp ministry, and uh, there were different ways where people would try to get your attention. Because when you're talking about in the middle of a camp week, it's an overnight camp where kids come and are there for about five days, Towards the end of the week especially, the kids are pretty tired come service time. And at camp, we always kept it very cold in the auditorium. The air conditioner was turned very low. It was very cold inside the auditorium for part of the purpose was to try to help keep people awake because if you get warm, you get sleepy. If you're, if you're shivering, it's hard to fall asleep. So, uh, so we keep it cold in there. But it was still, I mean, you're talking about kids are getting up at 7 o'clock in the morning. They're going to bed at 11 o'clock at night and they're probably not falling asleep right away, and they're goofing off and doing different things, and they're very tired. And so preachers had different ways. There were uh, some preachers who would, you know, hit the pulpit. And if you're sleeping, that kind of hurt. If you're sleeping, uh, you would kind of wake you up a little bit, snap you too. Uh, the platform, it's a raised platform and kind of hollow underneath. There's two-by-fours and plywood and whatever and carpet. And so I know there's one preacher who would stomp his foot, and it was nice and loud, and it could snap you back to attention. Brother Troy Carlson, he's not, he's not preached for us yet, but Brother Troy, when he preached, he had a clap. And he would always do it right into the microphone, and it would wake you up. Different ways to, to pay attention. Um, there are other times where maybe just a parent or a friend or whatever, and you're just kind of staring off into la-la land, and they're saying, hey, are you listening? Are you paying attention to what I'm saying? And the reason why we try to get people's attention is because if they're not paying attention, if they're not listening... If they're not hearing what's being said, they're not going to remember what is being said. 
Have you ever given someone instructions before and you wonder when you got done, did they hear a single word I said? Um, nowadays, when someone tries to give me driving instructions, I have to admit I don't listen. Why? Because I'm going to put it in my phone. I'm going to follow the GPS. And so someone will tell me, hey, all right, so you're, what you're going to do is you're going to turn here and you're going you're gonna to go down to the crooked tree and then you're going to take a right and then there's going to be a fork in the road. You're going to take a left and then when you come to the Save-A-Lot, then you're going to turn here. Then you're going to make a U-turn at, uh, at the, 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 the dead eagle that's in the road. Uh, you know, and you're sitting there going, wait, I'm not, I'm not going to remember any of this. I'm not writing it down. Uh, I'm just going to plug the address in my phone. It's going to take me where I'm supposed to go. Uh, there are times where you're given instructions, and I've seen this at, at work before. Hey, when you get to this place, you need to check in here. You need to look here. You need to do this here. And the person goes, okay, 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 okay. And, and I'm sitting there thinking, there's... I'm going to get a phone call in 30 minutes asking me what they're supposed to do. And sure enough, 30 minutes later, hey, um, I can't figure out how to get in. Well, I told you if you would just check in here, you would know what to do. Okay, so attentive, being attentive for the purpose of learning, of understanding. Here in Nehemiah chapter 8 and verse 3, it says at the end of the verse, and the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. They were being taught, some of them, Others were being refreshed, reminded of the law that was given to Moses by God. And here we see this wonderful picture of the people in the streets. I believe it was crowded, as it says there uh, in verse number uh, 2, I think it is. No, it's in verse number 1. Together as one man into the streets. So they are, they are packed in there. They are a lot of people, and they are gathered in as a group. And they are there for the purpose to listen to the reading of God's Word. And as they were doing so, the Bible says they were attentive. And when we are attentive to God's Word, when we are listening to what God's Word says, it will lead us to certain things. And we see this through the rest of Nehemiah today. Number one, if we are attentive to God's Word, it will lead us to worship. It will lead us to worship. Look in verse number 5 and verse number 6. And Ezra opened the book, in the sight of all the people, for he was above all the people. And when he opened it, and by the way, that means literally he was higher than, it's not that he was better than, he was literally standing higher in a higher place so everybody could see him. Uh, and when he opened it, all the people stood up, and Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen, Amen, with lifting up their hands, and they bowed their heads and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. If we will be attentive to the Word of God, it will lead us to worshiping God. If we will take the time to read the Scriptures on our own, we're supposed to do this on a daily basis. We're supposed to read the Bible. We're supposed to take it in for ourselves. Nowadays, there are so many different ways to do this. There is the literal reading, you reading the words in your head or out loud, however you do it. You can also nowadays find it for free anywhere on your phone, uh, you can type it in and uh, a reference or a book or a chapter or whatever and it will read it for you so you can listen to it. If you're like me, I'm a very slow reader. It takes me forever to read through anything. My wife will give me a text message. Here, read this. And I'll be sitting there reading it. She'll pull it away. I said, I wasn't done yet. She goes, how long does it take you to read a message? Well, it takes me a while. Give me a break. And so it takes me a long time to read things. So I enjoy listening to reading as well. Now, I admit, though, sometimes when I'm listening to it, it's harder for me to pay attention. It's harder for me to be attentive. So even though it might take me longer, it's often better for me to sit down with my Bible in hand and read it to myself, whether it be in my head or out loud, if I'm all by myself. 
and, and it's easier for me to stay attentive to it. But as you're reading Scripture, I guarantee you, if you're paying attention, it will lead you to worshiping God. It will remind you how great God is, how good God is, how merciful God is, how powerful God is. All these other things that as you're reading and you're, being, and you're learning about God, it will lead you to worship. Here the people were listening attentively as Ezra was reading. I find this passage interesting uh, as it talks about the pulpit that Ezra stood behind, a wooden pulpit. Uh, in verse number 4, he stood up on a pulpit of wood. Hey, looky here, we got one of those today as well. Uh, and he reads through it, and as they do it, it says the people stood. Have you ever been in a service where the preacher said, let's all stand for the reading of God's word? Uh, they did that here. We don't do that just because... Um, it doesn't matter why. I'll tell you some other day. It's not important. Uh, I'm not against it. I'm not, I'm not opposed to it either way. I'm not, it doesn't matter. Anyways, they did that here. They stood as the reading of God's word happened. And as they were attentive, the Bible says they answered, Amen, Amen. They were in agreement with what was being said. They were, uh, they were for what was being said. And with the lifting up of their hands, they bowed their heads and they worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Here we see that the attentiveness to God's word led to worshiping God. These people, many of these people, had probably not worshiped God, some of them maybe ever in their lives, and others of them, it could have been years and years since they had actually worshiped God. You think about a nation in captivity, a nation that is being forced to do certain things. You remember reading in Daniel of the, uh, the law that was put in, uh, the statue, and it was done for a purpose to cause problems, but the statue, and when the music played, they were supposed to bow down to the statue, and we read of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and their refusal to bow down to this statue, and I believe Daniel was included in that as well, but in their refusal to worship this statue, yet all the other people, all the other in captivity did. They bowed down to that statue. And that began this phase of not worshiping God anymore. You remember the law was put in, you couldn't pray to God anymore. Daniel still prayed, but more than likely the rest of those captives, many of those other captives, 97% of them, 99% of them, I don't know how many, they probably said, okay, well, we're not allowed to pray, so we won't pray anymore. And you see, when that action begins to take place, all of a sudden, worship ceases. And there may have been people for a few months that in the privacy, when they were on their own, they still worshiped God. But I guarantee you, as time went on, as, they, as the new uh, routine began to happen, they got away from it. Now you have a, a group of people who, who are the remnant. They were living in Jerusalem, but they were living in shambles. They were living still under the rule of, of, of another nation, following the traditions of another nation. And now, for the first time, audibly in a group setting they heard the reading of the scriptures and they were attentive to it and what did it lead to it led to them realizing who god was the god they were supposed to serve and they worshiped god if you'll be attentive to god's word it will lead to worship number one number two being attentive will lead to confession turn with me to chapter nine in the first three verses of chapter nine it says now in the 20 and fourth day of the month the children of israel were assembled with fasting and with sackcloths upon the, uh, and the earth upon them. This is a result of the worshiping. And the seed of Israel separated themselves from all strangers 
and stood and confessed their sins and the iniquities of their fathers. And they stood up in their place and read in the book of the law of the Lord their God one fourth part of the day and another fourth part they confessed and worshiped the Lord their God. Being attentive to God's word will lead to confession. With that means also it leads to the revealing of sin. As you read through scripture and if you'll be attentive to it, and this goes with if you'll be attentive to preaching as well as long as it's biblical preaching, if you'll be attentive to scriptures, it's going to lead to the revealing of things in your life that are not supposed to be there. It's going to lead to a revealing in your life, to God convicting you of sin in your life, telling you this is in your life and it shouldn't be. And it's going to lead you to come to the point where you say, God, this isn't supposed to be in my life. God, please forgive me. This is wrong. God, forgive me of it. Cleanse me of it. Create in me a clean heart, O oh God. And renew a right spirit in me. It's going to lead to a confession. You see, Scripture, and I've always been taught this, and I'm thankful to have been risen in a, in a house as well as in a ministry that taught this, God's Word changes lives. And if we'll read God's Word, and if we'll be attentive to it, it will change our life. You've ever heard of the phrase, if in doubt, don't. Um, maybe you've taught kids this before. If you're questioning whether or not it's right, it probably isn't. Uh, that kind of mentality. And you can go through life that way, and, and, and you will make probably many good decisions by doing so. But I will tell you this, that if you'll be attentive to God's Word, God will tell you very clearly this is wrong and this is right. God will lead you and God will direct you and God will convict you of things in your life that must change. I don't know about you, but if you've ever done something in your life where you're, you're, it's just a routine in your life, it's normal, it's what you're used to, and you're doing it and you're doing it and you're doing it, and you start reading God's Word, or maybe you, start, uh, uh, you hear a sermon or you, uh, something through scriptures, and all of a sudden you're sitting there one day as you're doing something, and you go, you know what, this doesn't feel right. I'm kind of feeling like maybe I shouldn't be doing this, or maybe I shouldn't be saying this, or maybe I shouldn't be listening to this, or maybe I shouldn't be reading this, or whatever it may be. And as you do that, you begin to realize, I don't think God wants this in my life. It may not be considered evil by, by people's standards or even by God's standards, but it might be something that God says, this in your life shouldn't be there. And if you'll read Scripture, and if you'll read the Bible, and if you'll listen to God's Word, what you're going to find is God revealing things in your life that are in your life that shouldn't be there, and He's going to tell you to get them out, and you confess those to God, and you get them out. David, in his sin with Bathsheba, uh, it came to the confrontation of the, the prophet Nathan, and he came... And he said, to the, Nathan confronted David, we used a story or an illustration, but ultimately it was through God's word to David. And when he did so, it convicted David's heart. It wasn't Nathan with his great storytelling. It wasn't Nathan with his great uh, way of speaking. It was Nathan sharing what God wanted him to share with David that, that convicted David of the sin in his life. He went a year at least with this unconfessed sin in his life. And when Nathan approached him and said, David, you are the man that I'm talking about. You're the man that sinned. David confessed his sin to God. And he got right with God. You see, if we are attentive to God's word, it will lead us to confession, which ultimately leads us to a right relationship with God. If I have sin in my life, I cannot be right with God. If I have things in my life that are not supposed to be there, I cannot be right with God. And so those confessions of sins, this, this taking to God, and listen, you only have to confess your sins to God. 
I know there are religions that's, that, that want you to come and confess to certain people. And I'm telling you, it might, it might make you feel good to get it off your chest, but it's not going to forgive you. Confession to God is the only thing that matters. I've told people this before, but as, as a pastor who works out in the community and in the jobs that I've had, as soon as people find out I'm a pastor, it feels like they feel like they have to tell you all the wrong things they've done in their lives. And I sit there, and I'm just trying to work, and I'm like, why are you telling me this? I don't want to know. And they start telling me about all these horrible things they've done in their life. And, all the, and they're like confessing to me all the things that they've done. And I was like, it doesn't, it's not between you and me. It's between you and God. Tell him, confess them to God, ask him for forgiveness. Um, and one of the jobs that I've held, uh, and, and really any job that I hold, most of the time if someone cusses around me, they'll quickly apologize. Oh, I'm sorry, preacher. I uh, know I shouldn't cuss around you. And, and I've always told them, what does it matter? Don't apologize to me, apologize to God. I had one, one guy, and I, I, I appreciate him, he's a friend, but um, he, he was kind of always trying to a little bit push my buttons a bit, and everybody else was really careful around me, and he was not. He would live life normally, and then after he got done speaking for an hour, he would say, oh, by the way, Vince, I'm sorry, sorry you had to hear all that. And, and I would always tell him, hey, it's, well, don't apologize to me, just apologize to God. You're, he's the one you're offending. You see... As we read scripture and it leads us to confession, it will lead us to confess to God the sins that we have in our life. It will lead us then to take to God the things that are in our life that are not supposed to be there, that God has revealed to us through his word and confess them. I promise if you'll read scripture, I promise if you'll read scripture, God will reveal to you things in your life that need to change things that you need to take out of your life, things that are leading you to a wrong direction or causing you a hindrance in your relationship with Him. Number one, if we're attentive, it will lead to worship. Number two, it will lead to confession. Number three, it will lead to remembering God's goodness. I talked about that when we're talking about worship. As you're reminded of God's goodness, it will, it will cause you to, to desire to worship God. But in chapter 9 here, we see a, a remembering of the things that had happened that God had done for them. We'll jump through them quickly and just highlight a couple of them. Verse number 6, Then even thou art Lord alone. Thou hast made heaven, the heavens of heavens, and with all their hosts, the earth and all the things that are therein, the seas and all that are therein, and thou hast preservest them, and the host of heaven worshipeth thee. He's the creator of the world. This is where they start in remembering the things that God had done. They start with creation. Why? Because it's the first thing. God created the world. Verse 7, Thou art the Lord, the God who didst choose Abram, remember Abraham, and brought us him forth out of Ur of the Chaldees and gavest him the name Abraham. And he talks about the things that God gave and promised to Abraham. Verse number 9, And didst see the affliction of our fathers in Egypt and heardest their cry by the Red Sea. He saw in their captivity in Egypt their need for a rescue, their need for... Uh, a deliverance, of course they were there because of their sin, but God still saw them and knew what they were going through. Verse 10, and show us signs of wonders upon Pharaoh. You remember the plagues that were sent to Egypt to show Pharaoh God's strength that ultimately led to the deliverance of the children of Israel. Verse 11, thou didst divide the sea before them, so they, they went through the midst of the sea on dry land. I'm telling you, we, we think of 
the splitting of the Red Sea is the greatest miracle in this story, but honestly, the dry land is. Um, you imagine how wet and muddy and murky it is underneath the Red Sea? God not only divided it, he gave them a, a path to walk on. It was dry so they could get across it. And they're reminded of that there uh, in the middle of, or towards the end of verse 11, thou threwest into the deeps uh, the, the persecutors as a stone into the mighty waters. As the army of Egypt followed the children of Israel through the Red Sea, God collapsed the Red Sea on them and destroyed the army behind them. Verse number 12, Moreover, thou leddest them in the day with, by a cloudy pillar and by night by a pillar of fire. Not only were they going through the wilderness, God directed them, he led them through the day and through the night with a, pillar, with a cloud at, at the daytime. It provided shade and protection as well as guidance with fire at night to provide heat and warmth as well as guidance. Verse 13, uh, thou camest down also upon Mount Sinai and spakest to them from, the, from heaven and gavest them right judgments and true laws, good statutes and commandments. You remember the Ten Commandments? God did that along the way as well. Verse 15, and gavest them bread from heaven. You remember the manna that fell down that God provided so that they could eat and have food to eat. He also provided uh, uh, later meat. Uh, and they always provided water, which is mentioned multiple times in this passage as well. Look in verse 17. It's really in the middle of the verse that I want to highlight, but we'll start at the beginning. And refused to obey, the people did. Neither were mindful of thy wonders uh, that thou didst among them, but hardened their necks, and in their rebellion appointed a captain to return to their bondage. But thou art a God ready to pardon. You see, God, even in his punishment, is prepared and ready to forgive and to pardon. We're being reminded of God's goodness to this nation of Israel along their journey. Verse 21, Yea, forty years didst thou sustain them in the wilderness, so that they lacked nothing, neither their clothes waxed not old, and their feet swelled not. I don't know about you, but if the, the humidity is up or the temperature is slightly above 32 degrees, I'm sweating. And my clothes wear out because I'm working in them and I'm moving in them and my socks get holes in them and my shoes, the soles of my shoes wear out and, uh, and shoelaces break and all those sorts of things. And yet 40 years as they wandered in the wilderness, their clothes were still fine. Their, clothes, their shoes were still uh, uh, in perfect condition for them to travel in. You see, God was protecting and sustaining is the word used in verse 21. And we're seeing the goodness of God. Verse 22, Moreover, thou gavest them kingdoms and nations and didst divide them into the corners so they possessed the land of Sihon and the land of the king of Heshbon and the land of Og, king of Bashan. He brought them into the promised land and he gave them victories and he gave them land and, and things that they didn't necessarily deserve, things they didn't even earn, yet God gave to them the goodness of God. Verse 23, Their children also multiplied... Uh, I think that's how you say that word. Uh, Thou as the stars of heaven. You blessed them with children upon children and grandchildren. And the, the country grew. The nation prospered. Slip down to verse 28. But after they had rest, after punishment, after, um, uh, after they disobeyed, after they, and that's what we're reading through in the, the previous verses, he says, but after that they had rest. They did evil again before thee. Therefore leftest thou them in the hand of their enemies so they, uh, that they had dominion over them. Yet when they returned and cried unto thee, thou heardest them from heaven. And many times, many times didst thou deliver them 
according to thy mercy. You see, as we're reading Scripture, as they were reading the book of the law, this is in Nehemiah's time, Ezra reading, he's reading these things, and they're talking about these things, and they're remembering the goodness of God. And how many times that even though their fathers and grandfathers and great-grandfathers disobeyed God, when they returned, when they said, God, forgive us, when they say, God, we were wrong, Lord, accept us back, Lord, restore us back, God heard them from heaven, and he did just that. Verse 31, let's look at verse 30. Yet many years shalt thou forbear them and testified against them by the Spirit and thy prophets. Yet would they not give ear. Therefore gavest thou them into the land of the people of the lands. Nevertheless, verse 31, for thy great mercy's sake, thou didst not utterly consume them, nor forsake them, for thou art a gracious and merciful God. You see, as we read the scriptures, we're going to remember God's goodness because there are times when we're going through life and things aren't going well, where things in our life are not going well. There are times that we just need to be reminded, hey, God's still good. No matter what's going on in this world, no matter what's going on in your life, I promise you God's still good. And so here, if you'll read scriptures, you'll be reminded of things. In this case, it's the, the nation of Israel and the reminding, being reminded of all the things that God did to provide for them that ultimately got them to the place they are now, standing in the streets, listening to God's word being read to them in a new city, a city that had been rebuilt, a city that had been restored because God sent Nehemiah to do so. And as they're being attentive, they are reminded of God's goodness. If you're not reading scripture, if you're not being attentive to God's word, there's going to be times in your life you're going to forget God has been good to you. Especially if we're going through a time where maybe people have been especially bad to you. Have you ever had family members that have just treated you wrong? Close friends that have just treated you wrong? And sometimes you sit there and you just feel alone and you feel hurt and you feel like nothing in this world is going right and why would people do this to me? And why would I hurt this badly? If you'll read scriptures and if you'll be attentive as you consistently read scriptures, you're going to be consistently reminded of God's faithfulness to never forsake you and to never leave you. Of God's consistent faithfulness to provide for you. Of God's consistent faithfulness to love you even when you're the most unlovable. Being attentive will lead us to worship. It will lead us to confession. It will lead us to remembering God's goodness. And then lastly, it will lead us to instruction. It will lead us then to how to live going forward, of how God wants me to live today and tomorrow and this week and next week and so on and so forth. Throughout the rest of the book of Nehemiah, there are different things that go on. They talk about the covenant that God made. Uh, they talk about the people who are living in Jerusalem and, and uh, different people around and are, are divided in different places and given different things still. And then in Nehemiah chapter um, 12, it talks about their duties and the different uh, work areas that they're going to be in. In chapter 13, it begins to go into this, as we read in chapter 9 as well, but this uh, um, letting go of the strangers letting go of the, uh, those that are living around us, the other nations that are there, the ones that are serving idols, the ones that drew you into idolatry. We need to break with them. You need to live godly. It talks about not marrying uh, into those uh, idol worshipers. Not allowing your children who are supposed to be serving God to, to marry into people who do not love God, who do not serve God, because what will happen is they will draw them away from God. 
nine times out of ten, maybe 9.9 times out of ten, the wicked will draw the righteous to them as opposed to the righteous drawing the wicked to them. Now, that, again, that, that sounds uh, discouraging when it comes to sharing the gospel, and that's not what we're talking about there. We're talking about if you're spending your time in a godless society, if you're spending your time with godless people, if you're allowing yourself to be influenced by godless standards, eventually your godly standards will slip. And so it's talking about spending that quality time, that spending time with marrying, by, for instance. You spend a lot of time with your spouse, whether you want to or not. I hope that you do. But whether you want to or not, you spend a lot of time with your spouse. And, and, and God gives the commandment here. These, these outsiders, we need to exclude them. We need to establish here a godly culture, godly families. And he instructs them on how to do that by marrying within the nation. Now, I'll just put this in there. It's, it's not part of the sermon necessarily, but a lot of people will use this and other passages talking about this with, with racial, and it has nothing to do with race. It's not, it's not forbidding interracial marriages. It's forbidding a godly person marrying an ungodly person, someone who worships God marrying someone who does not worship God. Um, and because of the danger that that provides for the person who does worship God. And here God puts in this instruction, and as these people are being attentive to God's word and listening to God's laws being spoken to them, it led to worship. It led to confession, which was so necessary. We'll look in this afternoon service in Jeremiah and see Jeremiah doing the confessing, but the rest of the people not. Jeremiah saying, God, our country, our nation, it's a, wicked, it's a wicked nation. God, forgive. And God says, but the rest of the nation isn't asking for forgiveness. Confession is necessary. When sin's in our lives, it causes a hindrance between God, and we have to do that. And being attentive to God's word will lead to confession. It will lead to remembering God's goodness, and it will lead to instruction. So I encourage you today, be attentive to God's word. I encourage you today to when you're reading your Bible, read to learn something. I've talked about this before. If you, if you read your Bible, if you have a goal to read a certain amount of Bible a day or uh, read your Bible through in a year, whatever it is, that's good. I'm all for it. But make sure you're reading to learn and not just reading to check off a list. When you come to church, make sure you, you're, you ask God, Lord, help me to listen today. Help me to hear what you want me to hear. Help me to get what, what you brought me here to receive. And I get it. Life is hard. It's easier for me to be attentive during the Sunday morning service when I'm preaching than it is when I'm sitting in the pew. I get it. You're tired. It's been a long week. It's been a hard weekend. It's been whatever. Maybe it's been a relaxing weekend, and that's why it's hard to stay awake. I don't know. But it's hard sometimes to stay attentive when we're sitting down and listening, especially when the pastor won't stop talking. And so I encourage you, be attentive to God's word in your own reading time and when you are sitting and listening to God's word being spoken as well. Because if you will be attentive, it will lead you to worship, it will lead you to confession, it will lead you to remembering God's goodness, and it will lead to instruction that will teach you how to live moving forward. God, I pray that you would help us. I pray that you would help us to be attentive on a daily basis to your word. God, that we would learn from it, that we would grow from it. And God, there is so much that can be taught to us in your word. There is so much that can be revealed to us by simply just uh, listening to your word, being attentive to your word. So God, I pray that you would help us to do that. And God, I pray that you will lead us to worship and to confession. 
and to remembering your goodness and to instruction so that we can live the way that you intend for us to live. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, would you stand with me, please, as the piano plays? I won't ask any questions today. I'll just simply say, if God's spoken to your heart about something today, that you need to be more attentive to God's word, or that you need to, maybe he even revealed to you today something in your life that you need to confess to him, would you do it? It's between you and God. You can stay at your seat if you'd like. You can come to the front and kneel if you'd like. But as the piano plays, if God's spoken to you about something today, would you please just handle it with him? Lord, we thank you again for your word and what we can learn from it. And I pray that today we would apply the things that you've spoken to us about to our lives. God, I pray that you'd help us be more faithful, more faithful in our Bible reading, more faithful in our attentiveness to your word. And God, we know that with that will come uh, many things. So Lord, we thank you for your willingness to speak to us. Lord, now help us to listen, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, thank you for being here this morning and for being attentive this morning as well. And uh, Lord bless you. Make sure you pick up a prayer card uh, for Jens. Feel free to ask him any questions that you have uh, here following the service. Don't forget to grab some candy uh, from his table as well. And uh, thank him for being with us today. And uh, he'll be headed down to Cadiz, I believe, uh, uh, this afternoon for the evening service down there. But um, I do thank him for coming. Thank you all, each of you, for being here today. We'll be back at 1 o'clock this afternoon if you can be with us. We'd sure love to have you. And as we continue through the book of Jeremiah, Jeremiah chapter 14, uh, this afternoon. Thank you so much for being here. Lord bless you. Let's go ahead and be dismissed. Thank you. Um, what do